0: we're having a blast with this new series at the table i want to welcome everybody from online who's watching now god bless you and we've had a a great time talking about food because i'm just amazed when you celebrate something uh big there's usually food involved would you agree and then if you have something sad there's a death in the family what do people bring over food why because that's one thing we all do together. And it's very different. It changes the connection when there's food involved. It takes the formality out of it. That's why Jesus ate a lot. Not in proportion, like portions, but he ate with people. Matter of fact, in the book of Luke, there are ten meals that he has with different people. So we thought, how fun to launch a summer series with standalone messages. So you can take your vacations and have fun in Colorado and let's look at these 10 times when Jesus is at the table and all the people that he's eating with because he said yes to some people that it really amazes me that he actually said yes to. Here's the question for today and this is my worry that you can just come to church hear a message and leave and it not penetrate into your soul. This is a complex message. And I really want you to have fertile soil in your heart. So just pray a little prayer right now that says, God, would you open me up to really hear what I need to hear out of this? Because some of this you think you may not need unless you're really willing to look a little deeper in your life and own it. And that's not easy to do. And so this story is about two people specifically, one named Simon, who is a Pharisee. We'll talk about that in a second. The other person is a woman. And it is a woman whose name in in this story is the immoral woman. (laughs) How would you like to have that name in the Bible? We don't know her name, it's just immoral woman. And that's what the Bible says. How many of you know if the Bible says it's an immoral woman? It probably is. So, we have that for sure. What Jesus does is both for Simon and for the immoral woman. Though there's a confrontation that takes place at the table, around this meal, while they're eating food. And I think one gets a little more jaded, and I think one is completely restored and healed. And so it's a matter of where you are in your life, and we need both. Number one in your outline, on the back of your program there, just follow along if you have it. I want you to just, I have six things, so I'll hustle. One is, Jesus has dinner with a Pharisee. Jesus has dinner with Pharisees. One of the things that you're going to see at, at the table series is that sometimes these are just quick meals, other times it's a full-blown dinner like this one. And in verse 36 it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. A lot of reasons, a lot of motives, a lot of filters. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to what? Eat. He was doing more than that but that's what we have so far in the story he's been invited he says yes who are the pharisees we've talked about this multiple times here at timberline but in case you're new or walking in the pharisees is, is a religious group that had a lot of to put it simple a lot of laws the pharisaical law a lot of teachings that made it very have you heard the term legalistic it's like hard to get in and hard to stay in it's all about performance. It's about, they made little new rules constantly. Hundreds of laws and rules. If you want to be holy, don't do this, 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 and this, and this. I think there's 60 some rules just about eating. What not to eat, how to eat, who to eat with, who not to eat with. How do you wash your hands? All this stuff. They, have, they actually had a rule. This is ridiculous. They had a rule that they came up with that said a woman could not look in a mirror on the Sabbath. Any ladies want to guess why? You Remember, you can't work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. They said, she might see a gray hair and pull it out. Which means she has been working and laboring. So ladies, there you go. No more looking in the mirror on the Sabbath. It just went on and on. Now here's another thing that I think is really fascinating. You've got to get this. Jesus knows that at the end of his ministry, about three years from now, it's the Pharisees, Sadducees, Scribes, it's, it's the religious culture that's going to call for him to be crucified. He, he's walking into a house of people who will ultimately ask for his death. And he knows that because he came to earth to lay down his life. How big is that? Am I willing to live my life in such a way that I am open to moments that are uncomfortable? Open to moments that I know these are not my people. (laughs) That I know this might be an an enemy of what I believe and what I profess. That's how open he was. And he said yes to coming to have dinner, to eat at the table with Simon the Pharisee. Number two. The woman was doing all that she could think to do. You'll see when I read this in a second. It's unbelievable what, what she was doing. It's almost embarrassing or humiliating. But Jesus knew what this was about. Others did not. And she did it sincerely out of her heart. Verse 37. When a certain, what? Immoral woman... From that city heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now listen to this. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. In, in this culture, when, when you came to the table in many environments, there are mats out and there's small tables where you actually recline on the floor. So the picture I have in my mind is that Jesus is like reclining maybe on his elbow and his feet are kind of back behind him like this. And she's right here. So while he's talking to Simon this way, all this stuff is happening with his feet back here. What do we know about her? We know she's immoral. We know that That she has some really expensive perfume in an alabaster box. There's lots of theologians. If you read this, you'll have all kinds of numbers about how much this uh, costs, but it's irrelevant. The point is, it was really expensive. She was humbled. She was ashamed. She was kissing his feet. I mean, can you imagine what this must have been like to, to be Jesus? I don't like people messing with my feet. Anybody else? I mean why would he let her do this i'll tell you why for her he didn't need he didn't need this he wasn't saying oh a little to the left he he was there he was there to say this woman needs to repent this woman needs to feel some anguish this woman needs to have something in her life that acknowledges her sin and this is, a, this is a huge, huge piece of what I really hope God puts in your heart today. Are we in a culture where anyone says I'm sorry anymore and means it? I mean, someone could run into you with a grocery cart in the grocery store and look at you like, get out of my way or I'll run over you again. There's a, there's a level of rudeness in, in driving and stopping and trying to get in and trying to get out people, it's it's just all about good old number one. And there's, there's sorrow in my spirit about that. Here's someone who is really sorry. And she's saying, I'm sorry. What else do I need to do? It's almost sad because this guilt is driving her to, to recognize here's the Messiah. She believed that no doubt. And she needed forgiveness. I I remember, you know, raising kids, you know, we had three children and a boy and two girls and and it's, it was, it's a blast. It was one of the best days of our life. And, and, uh, but we're not as actively raising them anymore. They're adults. And how many of you know you never fully stop raising your kids? But now they're kind of raising us, I think. Uh, but, but I can remember some of those days when I would say, Ryan, you need to tell your sister that you're really sorry. <laughs> and he would say, sorry. How <laughs> many of you are living that right now? You're in the middle of this. Yep. Sorry. No, you need to say it in a way that you mean it. And, and I wasn't satisfied until he could say it in a way that it sounded like he meant it even though he didn't. <laughs> we justify our actions. We feel like people deserve it. We walk away without the anguish of recognizing our sin. And you guys, if your sin is under the blood of Jesus, it's gone. Don't pull it up again. But if you're here today... And there is unconfessed habitual sin in your life. I hope you gulp right now. I hope you feel an anguish and a shame in that, that only God can redeem. Because being sorry for my sin is the only thing that can turn me around. Let's start with that. Number three, why do our minds go to immediate judgment? Why do our minds just sort of jump on the judgment piece like this is about to happen to Simon? And he's going to immediately... Well, let me just read it. Verse 39. When the Pharisee... Okay, this is Simon. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to who? Say that again. He said to himself... That's a very important part of this story. He said to himself... If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Here's what I want you to note. He does not see her tears. He does not feel her shame. He does not sense her anguish. He sees nothing in her except that she is a sinner and Jesus is doing nothing about judging her. As a matter of fact, the fact that he's letting him her touch his feet is a sign that he's really not a prophet at all. Wow, that's the best you can do, Simon? That's the best empathy you have? That's the best sympathy you have? What, what happens in your heart that someone's tears doesn't even move you anymore, especially when they're sincere and they're real? Man, think about that. There's a lot in that. He said to himself, okay, this is a big issue. He did not vocalize it, but his brain is filtering all this stuff about judgment. Now, you right now, scientists say that your brain is processing and you're speaking to yourself six to eight times faster than what I am speaking. And I'm a medium speaking kind of person when I, when I speak. Some of you are like, no, I, no, I'm not. That's the point your brains just going crazy because you're processing what i'm saying what it says you're reading what sight sound smell everything around you your your brain is processing all of that he said to himself now that is a big part of how satan keeps us from freedom it's called self talk this is not just psychology this is bible What you say to yourself and what you allow to happen in your brain matters dramatically for your future. And when you hold on to stuff, including judgment or lack of forgiveness, it will eventually wreck your life. It will win. Your self-talk matters. And how quickly we go in our human nature to critical mode. You've been sitting at a restaurant waiting for someone. They're late, they're late, they're late. You have this thought, man, they're wasting my time. I've got stuff I need to be doing. Instead of thinking, I hope they're okay. What happened to them? That's a filter. It's just, is it about me or is it about them? Where is my care? What levels? It happens to us very, very fast and we don't even know why. Our culture has become pretty self-centered and it's it's all about me. i got to keep going. Number four, we need to understand the why. We need to understand why Why is Simon kind of coming out like this? What's going on in him? So Jesus is going to really teach Simon something powerful here. He's not trying to bash him or hurt him. He's trying to get him to wake up and see the truth about his self-talk, right? Verse 40, then Jesus answered his what? Thoughts. How unique is that? That's what Bonnie does to me all the time. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. How many of you would like to find a lender like that? (laughs) Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose, the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Simon. And she's right back here putting perfume on my feet. Because you're self-justified and you don't even recognize your sin. Wow. What causes us to have deep appreciation Am I living with gratitude for the blessings in my life? Am I thankful to God for my sweet forgiveness and for His grace in my life? And am I living that way really saying, God, spend me. What you have done for me, I can't thank you enough. Or am I, Simon, judgmental, carrying this, this filter of who Jesus is and who He's not? Let's learn to say thank you and mean it. Number five, let's have some perspective. Now, this is where we have conflict. Okay, you ready? Don't, don't bring conclusions yet to the story. Just keep your mind open. Let, all this, let the Spirit just work in you right here. Verse 44. So he turns to the woman. Okay, I want you to see this. He turns to the woman, but he says it to Simon. So it's kind of like this. Simon is right here. It's like he turns back around and he looks at the woman, but he's going to talk to Simon as he's looking at her. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. And he's looking at her. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, which, by the way, would have been very common and almost a must. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, which would be done especially to a rabbi. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Wow. Why did Jesus do this? How many of you think it went a little bit silent in the room? Okay, you're a guest... You're a guest in someone's house, and they've just fed you, and you just feel reamed out. Right? Simon's just sitting there, and probably all of his buddies are sitting around. Awkward. But here's what I want you to know. Jesus is not trying to butcher Simon. Jesus is not trying to take him out and show him his place and put him in his place. Jesus loves Simon and he's trying to get him to see the truth about himself. Guys, that's where it starts. I, uh, my wife, Bonnie, has a, a mirror that occasionally I will pull out that mirror if I'm trying to cut the back of my hair or something. And, and one side is a normal mirror. But when you flip that baby around to the other side, it's like the pores on your nose are looking right at you. How many of you have one of those mirrors? Okay, a lot of ladies just lifted their hands. What's up with that, ladies? Why do you have that mirror? It's awful. Do you really want to see that? Really? I mean, think about it. If, I mean, oh, oh, it's for my makeup so I can get it... If you just would look at the normal mirror, you would feel so much better about yourself. (laughs) You know what I wish we had? I wish God had one of those magnifying mirrors for my soul and my spirit. And I wish He could let me see. Maybe I wish this. Because I don't even know how much decay I have in me when I look at my filters, my motives my arrogance, my pride, or my humility, or whatever it is, I'm not even sure I know myself. But I know this. God loves me enough to tell me the truth. If I will listen, if I will listen, I don't want to have confidence in something that's a lie about me. I would rather, I would rather Jesus confront me like He did Simon and say, Northrop, this is the truth about you. Deal with it. I'll help you. I'll journey with you. Guys, this isn't a message to try to hurt you or get you to feel bad about anything. This is a message to try to lift you up from that place and say, God loves you. He created you for a purpose. Live that. Don't settle for a second about that. What is the truth about you? Last thing, and I really want to have a couple minutes to, to talk about this one. In this story, there's the power of forgiveness. It's, it's one of my favorite moments in, in the the At the table series, right here in this, these verses, verse 47. I tell you, who's he, who's he saying that to? Simon. Okay, this is huge. I tell you, dude, (laughs) Simon, her sins, what's the next line? And they are many. He's not sugarcoating this. Love that about God. They are many. Have been forgiven. So she has shown me the much love. The 500 pieces of silver kind of love. But a person who is forgiven little, or at least they think they've just been forgiven little because there wasn't really too much wrong to start with, like you, Simon. There's just a little love there. In other words, you don't love me like she does. Then Jesus turns his attention to the woman and he actually says to her this time, your sins are forgiven. Boy, did she need to hear that. Boy, did she need that moment. Then the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? That shows you they did not believe he was the Messiah. They did not believe he was the Son of God. And they go right back into judgment. With no regard to the release that this woman. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. Here's how I want to finish this. I want to talk about forgiveness. It's one of the most misunderstood components among Christians. And it drags people to their death. Because they don't understand what kind of godly forgiveness really, what it really is. I hear things like this. Forgive and forget. What we mean by that is when we forgive, we're learning not to hold a grudge. Which is very important and is biblical and is true. But I want to tell you something. If someone has wounded you deeply, 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 you're never going to forget it on this earth. It doesn't mean you ha- that it controls you or it has power over you. It just means that you cannot humanly pretend that it didn't happen. We're in the flesh. How many of you have known this is a jar of clay? So I'm stuck on earth. Guys, this is not heaven yet. So we're scarred. We're battle scarred. We have issues. All of us have, have things, filters. But I'm never going to forget that it actually happened. So you don't have to say, well, it's still on my mind, so it means I haven't really forgiven. No, it doesn't mean that. Another thing that bothers me about some of the Christian perspectives of forgiveness is that so many Christians believe it means if I truly forgive that I must be fully reconciled to this person. Meaning it's all good now. It's all over. And that's not true either. You may never speak to that person again your whole life. You know, if someone abused one of my kids, I I might, with the grace of God, be able to forgive them and move on but they're not going to babysit my kids again. You say, well, that's not real forgiveness. Yes, it is. It is if that's what's going on in my heart. Because it doesn't mean that I'm going to reestablish the same place of trust that I had with that person before. I have the right to question your trustworthiness in that offense. But what I cannot do is I cannot let resentment and anger and live with an angst and carry this burden. That I have to give to God. That I have to say, I can't fix that. But I give it to you. I may never speak with them again, but I'm not going to carry around. I'm not going to let that person lord that over me. That's where self-talk matters. Because I know what happens. The enemy of your soul has many people trapped by self-talk. Why? Because it's a habit. When you think of that person, you go to that moment of your deepest pain. And that's the moment when you haven't learned to train the brain. And this is really practical, but I want you to say it with me. Train the brain. Ready? Train the brain. Say it again. Train the brain. You have an opportunity in your self-talk when that spirit comes into you. And that can be the enemy just reminding you. You have a moment to say, (laughs) ah, gotcha. (laughs) Open your head up and pull it out. In your mind, in the discipline of your mind, you need to say, the enemy's trying to get me. He's trying to keep this filter right at the forefront of how I respond to this hurt. But that's not going to work anymore. You know why? I've handed that to God. And I'm in a process with God. It's not all gone yet, but I'm getting there. And if you'll start doing that every time that comes and smacks you in the face... You'll be stunned at the freedom you start to have. You'll be stunned at the freedom that God starts to give you in your spirit, where all of a sudden you're not waking up angry. All of a sudden you don't carry this resentment. All of a sudden you can trust other people. Why? Because you're giving this to God. Refuse to live at the lowest and least. God's calling you to your highest and best. Don't forget that. That's what the Word of God says. The law can't say you have to be generous. The law won't say that. But the Bible teaches that we should be generous. That's the highest and best. That's where God is calling us. I want to pray for us today. Would you just bow your head, please? Lord, in this very moment, I know you are working in this room in a powerful way. And I, won't, I don't take that for granted. Without your revelation in people's minds, change will never come. With heads bowed in here, I'm just asking you to really be very real and sensitive to God right now. Don't dig up past stuff. If you've buried that under the blood of Jesus, then keep it there. But for some of you who are holding that grudge and you're living with that anger and it's a filter and you haven't trained the brain, this is for you. This is Jesus coming to your house and calling your name and saying, Let me tell you a story. Because you're letting this control you. You're letting this person have power over you. This woman was released because she believed what Jesus said. Your sins are forgiven. And she walked out of there new. I don't know in moments like this if you should raise your hand or tap your foot or shake your head or just say, yes, Lord, under your breath. I don't know, but I'll I'll give you those options. But I think it's good for us sometimes to raise our hand because it's physical. It's physical. And it's a it's motion, it's a movement that we're acknowledging. So, if you know that's you, you're stuck. You, you love God, but you're stuck with this, carrying this. Raise your hand. You can put him right back down. God bless you. We're going to pray for freedom. And it's, it's not going to all just come in one big swoop. That's another lie. This is a process of training the brain and coming out from underneath that pressure. You just keep handing it to God, though. You keep handing it to God. You keep trusting Him. Okay, I'm going to flip it over now. How many of you would say, I have a little Simon in me? Sometimes I get pretty judgmental, and I label people, and God's touching my heart about that today. Lift your hand. Yeah. It's easy to become that, you guys. God's working on all of us. Okay, Lord... You know our hearts better than we do. Put that mirror in front of us, the magnifying mirror, and and show us the things that we we can get out of our heart and our spirit so that we can reach your potential, so that we can be beautiful as you see us, as you created us. Lord, don't let this just heap guilt on somebody. That won't help them. Let this be freeing. Let this moment set them free from all the stuff that's so easy to carry in our culture. I thank you for it, and I trust you. Show us the way, Lord, to be the people of God and to let you speak both to our sin and to our judgment and our self-righteousness at the table. (laughs) All in this story. Thank you that you love us and that you are for us. In Jesus' name.